Well, 24 hours ago, roughly, uh, actually about 24 hours to right about now, uh, my um, dad called me and he said, hey, Bri, I've got a, uh, he's our senior pastor, by the way. Uh, he called me and he said, um, I got some kidney stones. I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, it's just, it's pretty painful. I'm not sure what, what, you know, what's going on. And I said, oh, that's a bummer. Because <laughs> you have to preach tomorrow. Oh, man. And I'm all the way in Indiana, 10 hours away at seminary, <laughs> finishing up a thesis here for a class. Uh, you better pray for a miracle. <laughs> and he did. And God said, no. But I'll send Brian. <laughs> so, so here I am. And uh, here's the thing, though. He said, listen, uh, the topic is on money. Um, the bulletin's been printed, so you need to preach on money. But here's the deal. Uh, he's not here. Okay. <laughs> So, so this is what I need us all to do. What we're all going to do is we're all going to go on to Facebook, uh, and we're all going to post on my page, on the church's page, about how great this sermon was on money. It was the best sermon on money you've ever heard. You're, you're like going to reverse tithe, live on 10, give 90. And hey, even if, it, yeah, right? even if it's your first time here this week, first time in church, look, you can play too. It's all skate, okay? You can play too. You just go on the church's Facebook page, say, not only am I a Christian now, but I've double mortgaged the house, and I'm giving away all the money to the needy. Find some good quotes on tithing. Delete whoever said them. Post them on my page. So it's great, Brian. No, that's not worried. <laughs> he said it's okay. I don't have to preach on money. He said it's okay. I don't have to do that. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you my thesis because that's all I have. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that either. Um, I do believe God's got something planned, though. I mean, He knew this was coming. He allowed it to happen. So um, there was something else on His agenda. And that's life, right? Like, God's agenda is not always ours. And so um, I believe he's got something this morning for all of us together. Um, and then I'm going to continue a series I started a couple weeks ago. It's, it was called The Mission in Motion. And let me summarize it a little bit for you. This is what uh, we kind of talked about over the course of those two weeks. And it had to do with the fact that Christianity is a relationship for sure. It's not just a religious set of, 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 of to-do lists. It's not a performance uh, how am I going to just be better or do better? It's not that. It's a relationship with God through Jesus. But here's the thing. It's a relationship with a God who is in motion. He's moving. He's got a mission. Jesus had a mission, and he was moving. So at, naturally, having a relationship with somebody who's on mission, who's moving, to experience, to know, to live out that relationship in its reality of who he is, who Jesus is, there's movement to it. There'll be movement in your life. You can't just like button Jesus can't just agree with him. There's a following. He invites you to follow him. So as we follow Jesus, that's how we know and experience the real Jesus. You can't carve away from Jesus his mission. You know, you can't say, I like Jesus, I agree with Jesus, but I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to carve that away from who he is. His identity is wrapped up in this mission. And what is that mission? It is the cross. It is dying to self for the sake of other people. So if we are to follow Jesus, if we have a relationship with this person, and he is our leader, and that means that the, the process of living out that relationship, the process of being in that relationship, is dying to ourself, a metaphorical cross, for the sake of other people, for the sake of those in need, whatever their need is, to love them and serve them as he did us. And that's the relationship we have with Jesus. And I know to some of you that does not sound like the free gift of grace. That doesn't sound like a, um, a free, gracious, loving gift of salvation that maybe you thought 
this is supposed to be. I get that. And, and Paul in 1 Corinthians agrees with you. He actually agrees. It's not going to sound like a free gift of grace to some of you. In fact, to some of you, it'll sound dumb. It's like, why is that good news at all? Like, why is, do people say the gospel is good news and then tell me it involves that I have to die to myself, that I have to lose my life in order to find it? Why, how is that good news? Paul agrees with you. He says, it sounds dumb. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, um, the message of the cross, it is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. He's not being mean. He's not saying you're headed for destruction. He's just warning you. He's like, look, if your whole life is wrapped up in getting as much as you can, your comfort, your money, your stuff, finding happiness in this world alone, in people's approval of you and your relationships with people, if that's your whole life, it's going to slip through your fingers like sand. You're headed for destruction. You'll get to the end of your life and realize there should have been something beyond it. But then he also says this. He says that for those of us who are being saved or in the process of something's coming alive and awakening me spiritually coming alive, I'm beginning to realize this is the secret. He says, this is the very power of God. In that verse, he says, to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. It's the secret for change, for transformation, for hope. Is that I, it took, my, took me a certain amount of years, took me until I was a teenager, took some of you guys decades to realize that the answer is not in this world, it's not getting as much as we can, it's actually in dying to myself. Losing my life for him is when I find it. And some of us, there's pain and destruction that have to show us that and teach us that. Others of us, God just opens your eyes. He says, listen, this is the answer. Is following me, the cross, even for your own life. Saying no to yourself, yes to others, yes to me. That's new life. When we lose our life, we find it, as Jesus says. So that's what the last couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, we covered that. But what I want to ask today, I want to, I want to deal with this problem today, is where does hard work fit into this whole thing, right? I mean, we know it's a grace. We know there's a gift of grace that, that we're brought into the family of God through what he did and his hard work on the cross. But where does our hard work fit into the, into the, into the process of growing and living out in this relationship, following Jesus, dying to self metaphorically as a cross? How, how, where does hard work fit into that? Because... Um, Hard work, if, you, if you've been a Christian long enough, you might have heard this phrase, phrase, sanctification, being sanctified. It's this process of growing spiritually and maturing. And we say, well, where does hard work fit into sanctification? Do I, is sanctification like my part? I got to work hard on that. For some of you, even if you're not a Christian, this is your first time in church today, you're still figuring out what you believe about God, maybe you've even heard this, like religion or Christianity even looks like hard work and there's people working hard to be better. But yet I also hear it's supposed to be that something God did in his grace and love, but there's a ton of hard work going on. Where do they, how do these things match up? How do these things fit together? Well, that's what I want to deal with today. I want to say, how do these things fit? I want to ask it maybe in the form of an analogy. So in, uh, let's say, for those of you that are dating or married or, or, um, or looking to date or going to date, uh, if you had your spouse or your future spouse, let's say the guy came up to you, and he said this to you, ladies. He said this. He said, listen. Um, I want to be real and authentic in this relationship. I never want to do anything just out of a hollow, works-based thing. I want to make sure I feel it. It's going to be sincere. So listen, I promise you, I'm going to make a promise to you, sweetheart. Honey, bae. I'm going to promise you that I will never do anything unless I feel it. If you ask me to clean the house, I will not say yes to that unless I feel it coming out of a natural flow of love naturally comes out of my life. It's all about heart. You know, this is not a workspace relationship. This is all about being authentic. 
I will be authentic in this relationship. I will never do anything that I don't honestly feel. I owe you that. I know if he said that, what would you do, ladies, right? Uh, the, the correct term is hammer punch. It's a, ha it's a punch on the head like this, right on the top of the head, boink, like that. That's what you do. <laughs> Some relationship advice. Listen, that, that's not even a relationship. I don't know what that is. In fact, some of us would say the best relationships are those where people are willing to work, whether they feel it or not. So we know that in any relationship, hard work plays a role. So what about in our relationship with God? And for some of you, if you don't have one or if you're still figuring out what you believe about that, this question might be the one that maybe you said, I, this, until I know the answer to this one, I can't make a decision about this. So let's deal with it today. That's a hard question. It's a good question. And um, I don't have the answer because <laughs> I didn't have time to write a sermon. But I did read the Bible. So let's, <laughs> let's read the Bible. I, I've heard the answer is in here. So let's do that. We're going to be in 2 Peter. This is one of Jesus' disciples. He uh, was the, the overly eager one. Uh, he was always saying yes to stuff before he knew what he was getting himself into. But he wrote this, and uh, this is Second Peter. It's the second letter he wrote, and we'll start in verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, wow, what if we just believe that? Like, what if we just believe that we actually have everything we need? Like, at some point in time, it's not God is in the process of giving you everything you need to live a godly life. No, it doesn't say that. It, that's not what the text says. The text says he gave it to us. It, it, it transpired. It took place past tense. We have it. We as a group, he's talking to we, it's plural here. Us, we, God gave us everything we need. So he gave us as a community everything we need together to live a godly life individually. Life is individual there, but together. So apparently our godly life that's lived is lived in community together. That's the only way it happens. So he's given it to us. And then he says, uh, we have received, past tense, all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So we received it. The transaction already took place. You've already been given it. You're not waiting for it. You've already been given this. Everything you need. I mean, imagine, I could just pray and we could be done here today if we just actually believe that, right? I mean, some of us just need to live our life like we believe we got everything we need in Jesus. But... That transaction took, took place. He called us. It says, it says there, we received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself. He called you. You didn't call him. Some of us, your, your self-esteem is so low. Imagine what it would do for your self-esteem if you just began to believe that God chose you. He, he looked out and he said, I want you. I'm picking you. Maybe right now I'm picking you. I want you. I mean, like that, the, the creator of the universe called you. He called you and by means of his glorious glory and excellence, not yours. So it's his glory. It's his excellence. It wasn't contingent on your glory and your excellence. What was the most glorious and excellent thing Jesus ever did? The cross. By means of the cross, by means of what he did, you got everything you need. You can find everything you need to live life in the cross. So you have everything you need. And he keeps going here. And because of his glory and excellence... He has given us great and precious feelings. These are the feelings that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human feelings and desires. So our source of power that enable us to change, to see progress in our life, 
comes from these new feelings that he gives us, these new emotions that power us and enable us to escape the, the, the stuff in our life that we know we're going to regret, that has drawn us away to, to kind of ruin and corrupt our lives. It's, it's these new feelings that he gives you. Oh, wait, no, I read that wrong. That's actually not what it says. That was a test, and you all failed. So don't worry, the 8 o'clock, they didn't get it either. They didn't see it. So um, I thought I was expecting more from you at 9.30. You guys got an extra hour of sleep, but you didn't get it. So that's what you get when you don't bring your Bibles to church. That's, that's the best judgy Christian stare I can give you. Okay. I'm only kidding. Okay. This is what it actually says. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable, empower you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Listen, it is egregious for anybody to get up on the stage and tell you that to earn God's favor and love, you have to be excellent and morally good and do better things. That guts the power of the cross. Anybody that believes that anything you can do can tick the needle up or down in God's favor because of what you can do has gutted the entire power of the gospel. But it is also, we preach a false, a false message of hope to the world when our lives exhibit no change in transformation. And frankly, do we want to believe in something that doesn't change or impact or transform our lives? The good news of the gospel is that change and transformation is possible. And what, Jesus, what Peter is saying here is that the power for that change the power doesn't necessarily come from hard work. It doesn't come from hard work. It comes from promises. Question, do we know the promises? I mean, do we know these promises? That's where they're from. That's where you find them. That's where they're written. How, how much time do we spend learning the promises, really thinking deeply about the promises' impact on our life? Do we look for our source of strength and power in the promises or in other things? Because this is what he says next. This is what Peter says next. He says, in view of all this, make every effort, work hard to respond. It's a response to God's promises. You've already got them. They've already been given to you. This is a response to God's promises. It doesn't say make every effort to earn God's promises and keep them and make sure you fulfill them or make sure God fulfills them by your hard work. It doesn't say that. You've got the promises. Your hard work is a response. Here's the problem, is we not only flip-flop the work and the promise part, but we get our view wrong. That's what happens. Our view gets off. We, we lose sight and vision. We don't need the solution to, to growing spiritually is not to work harder. It's to see more clearly. We've all tried the harder work thing, right? We've all tried that. Work harder at being good. No, no, no. Even if you're not a Christian, you've tried to work hard. It's, there's a view. There's a perspective I don't have. You know, because what happens is this, is as we live life in our work and our families and our friendships, there's circumstances that come up that are hard, that are difficult, and our eyes go off of the promises and onto the circumstances. That's why the circumstance comes up and we start to question everything. We start to question the goodness of God, the promises of his hope and a future for us. All those things come under question. Why? Because our eyes, our view, not because of our hard work, because our view is taken off the promises. We don't, we don't spend time dwelling on, maybe regularly, I'm going to even go so far as to say daily, 
knowing and listening and reading and, and living in the promise. Rather, we look at the situation, our perspective on it. This is kind of what blame is in a way. Blame is another version of this. Anytime you blame somebody else, I can't forgive because they, I can't love because they, I can't serve them because they, anytime it's because they and their thing and only, until they do this, that, that blame, all that is, is it's allowing somebody else's imperfection to take your potential hostage. That's what it is. It's allowing somebody else's imperfection to take the potential that you have to live a godly, loving, sacrificial life for someone. It, it, it takes all that hostage. Blame is, is another way that I believe we lose all the power to live a change, transform life, because it takes our view off of the promise and the call of God on our life and what he's given us, empowering us to live and love people in a way that we otherwise couldn't because of somebody else's imperfection. I can't until they, I won't be able to until he or she said, until she, you know, apologize. I can't, all of that. You've allowed somebody else's imperfection to take hostage your potential. Other people's view of your life, you know, what, what they would say if they knew or what they would say if I did, all those things. You've allowed the potential that God has placed in your life. You've taken hostage. And listen, your perspective on what's possible in your life will always be shorter than God's reality for you. It will always be. God always has a bigger plan. And it always is better. It is always better. Everything that you see as possible in your life will always be smaller than what is actually possible for your life because of who God is. These are the promises of God that we find in Scripture. Question, are we living, is our view on the promises? Well, here was my question when I read this passage. I, I asked the question, I said, why does he say this? Why does he say, make every effort? I mean, I mean why doesn't he just say, in view of God's promises, chill out, right? Just relax. In view of God's promises, meh, try a little bit. Work a little harder. Maybe give a little bit of effort. In view of God's promises, give some effort. Why does he say make every effort? Like, why is he saying with such urgency, make every effort, every fabric of your being, work hard. Work, 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 work hard. Why? Why does he say that? What's the purpose of the work? You want to know? This is really good, isn't it? This is good. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. I, I get excited about this stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I want to know what's going to happen next. Okay. Here's what he says. He says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. He goes in to explain all this hard work, moral excellence. That sounds really hard. A generous portion. I don't know about that. I'll give a little bit. And moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Oh, I hate that. Uh, self-control with patient endurance. That doesn't sound fun. And patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. Have you met my brother? And, and, brother, <laughs> and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Have you met everyone, though? That's a lot of hard work. And, and, and that's in the Bible, too. Like, actually, we're supposed to work hard at those things when our view is right. Uh, apparently, we can't even work hard at these things until we have our view right, because we've tried that, right? We've tried working hard. It doesn't work. It doesn't end up being that, that hard of work. We, just, we end up being uh, saved by grace sometimes and just paralyzed by it because we don't want to work hard because it's insincere or whatever. I mean, we can't work hard until our view is right. But then what's the purpose? What's it all leading to, toward? Why work hard? Why make every effort? Here it is. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, when I read that, or when, when we read that, we see that word knowledge, and we, we think of it like facts, like school, right? Like, it'll grow in my knowledge. So apparently, you know, I'm supposed to be, I'm, I'm supposed to be like really morally excellent, self-control, love my brother, uh, love people, uh, and somehow all of doing those things is the outcome of that, is I'm just going to know more facts about Jesus intellectually and ontologically, as I'm just my my grasp of the person of Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to grow. Is that, I didn't, that doesn't sound worth it. But that's not what he's saying. Okay, that word knowledge, the word know, here's what he's describing. It'd be similar to the word know as in the way you know your best friend, the way you know your spouse, the way that you know somebody who you love deeply, that kind of knowledge. So like, I know about Aaron Rodgers, but I don't know Aaron Rodgers personally. Like, I can't say to you, oh, Aaron, me and Aaron are buds. Yeah, we, we go way back. We're friends. I, can't, I don't know him. I know about him, but I don't know him. What he's saying is, listen, the outcome of all of this is relationship. And what drives it is knowing him. The outcome of it is relationship. What drives it is relationship. It's all about knowing Jesus. It's all about relationship. He doesn't say, so moral excellence and all this stuff is going to produce and make you more productive and fruitful in more self-control, more brotherly love, more love for everybody, more, more moral excellence. It doesn't say that. It's not like all of these things produce more good works. No, 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 no. It's about Jesus. It's about experiencing and stepping into the fact that you have a relationship with somebody who is on mission to love and serve people. And as you step out in faith and do those things and work hard at those things, it's not to earn the promises. It's to experience them, to know them to know them more deeply, to have a fruitful, productive friendship in knowing him even better and more intimately. Look, the whole reason we do this global connections and we send missionaries all over the world is not because we need, we don't, we don't go and uh, send missionaries to save people. We send missionaries because that's what saved people do. That's just, it's an outflow of who we are in our relationship with God. We don't serve the needy and, and tithe and give generously to people in need because that's, we need to save them. No, no, it's because it's because that's what saved people do. It's an outflow of our relationship, and as we do it, we discover and experience and enjoy the relationship. It's all wrapped up in relationship. So what happens if you're stuck, Peter? Peter, what happens if I'm stuck? I am, I, I feel like I've tried to work hard. Uh, you're telling me my view is off. I can't see something or something I'm missing in my view, what is it? Well, he keeps going. He answers it. He says this, but to those who fail to develop in this way, for those of us out there who feel like there has been no transformation or we haven't seen progress or we, we haven't, frankly, even seen a, a desire well up in us or any kind of hard work in our life, we just were paralyzed to really work hard. We don't want it. We don't have that. What is it? He says this, but to those who fail to develop in this way, there's a view problem. They're blind. There's something we're not seeing. There's a, there's, a, there's a view issue. All of it is in view of all. If you can't view it, you can't do it. I mean, if you, if you don't know the promise, you can't respond to it. And so when I say know the promise, I mean like know it personally, like in your gut, not just some intellectual thing for all those Christians and people out there, but know it personally. Like, you can't respond to something that you don't know. What is it? What are we blind to, Peter? 
What is the view I don't have? What is, what is making my view short-sighted? What is it? And he tells you in this next part of this passage, I kind of stopped it short, but I believe that this next passage, the piece of this passage, is what opens people's eyes. This is what unlocks people's capacity to respond to God. And this is it. And Peter says it very plainly. Forgetting that they have been cleansed. Forgetting that it's okay. We're covered. It's good. Like, we don't even know or we don't realize or we forget that the cross took care of everything. Like, like the gospel is, is that we can work hard because we have nothing to lose because we've been given everything already. Everything we need. It's all covered. It's good. The creator of the universe has your back because you are in his family as his adopted son or daughter. He's dad. He's got, he's not, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to get to heaven. He's going to go, there's not enough moral excellence, not enough self-control or brotherly love. Sorry, that's not going to happen because of the cross. Your faith is in the cross. You forgot. You can't, you can't forget the cross. Salvation is not a moment in time. It is. There's a moment when you receive it and you, you, be, you're, you come to know Jesus and he's given you everything you need. But it is a, it, the salvation story, the gospel story is something every day you got to think about. you got to get your view in. You got to put those goggles on every day because that is the source of our power, that promise that it's good, it's okay. I can't become an unchristian any more than I can take the blood out of my own veins and not be an Episcopal anymore. I'm family. Like it's who I am. He's dad and he loves me and I'm not going anywhere. And despite the fact that there has been no progress or no change in a category of my life or in some recent history or long history, it, what he's saying is don't forget, it's good. I mean, it's okay, You're, God loves you. I mean, his forgiveness for your past is includes 10 seconds ago, it includes a second ago, and it includes last night, last weekend, last year. He's forgiven you. You're covered. It's okay. It's good in the sense that you're good. It's okay. It's atoned. And that news, when we believe that personally, man, what, what, what peace. I can, I can respond to that. But what how every day we get up and we go out there and we work with the faith of a servant who's trying to please the master and make sure he's not going to be upset with me instead of the faith of a son or a daughter. Listen, if you have to start praying and calling him dad just to help get the theology of this in your head, you need to do that. You need to say, dad, heavenly dad, daddy, I mean, Abba, Father, that's what Jesus cries out when he cries out, Abba, it's daddy, it's, it's intimate. How should we pray, Jesus? How should we address the creator of the universe? What is his name? Heavenly dad, daddy. If you have to start doing that to help get this promise into your skin, you need to do that because that's the power. You're, you're covered. You're saved. You're taken care of. My, um, my daughter is, uh, she's uh, three. Yeah, there she is. Yes. She's, she's three months, uh, 12 weeks. And um, you can just leave that up there the rest of the service and this will be, <laughs> people are like, that was the best sermon ever. Have you seen his daughter? Adeline Grace is her name. Um, she's taught me more about God's love in the last 12 weeks than I've ever known because uh, here's the thing about Adeline. 
is uh, she's three months old, so uh, her productivity and contribution to the families, you know, contribution to the family is pretty low, okay? She's a squatter. She ain't paying rent. She's not paying any rent yet. And she doesn't do much. I mean, she just kind of lays there and makes noises. That's all she does. Some of them smell weird, but she makes, I mean, that's all she does. So if you were to make an Excel spreadsheet and say, okay, Adeline's productivity and contribution to the family is this much, compared to my productivity and contribution to the family, you know, I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's cavernous, the gap. And then compared to my wife, which is, you need two spreadsheets for that because she gets more done in an hour than I will do my whole life. But, she, you know, hers is up there. I mean, compared to Adeline, Adeline does not, she contributes nothing. But here's the thing, like, she'll make a noise, right? She'll go, eh, like that, right? And I will look at her in that moment, and I'll be so proud. Like, I'll, I'll be like, that was amazing. Like, she'll smile or just giggle, and I'll be like, look at you. You're amazing. I love you so much. Like, look at you. You're amazing. I love you so much. I just want to be with you. Listen, compared to the productivity and output of the creator of the universe, we contribute nothing. Our whole life is just a little, eh, it's just a, eh, just a squeak. And God looks at it and he says, I love you. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. Look at you. I love you. You're not going to produce anywhere near what I'm going to produce and contribute in your hard work in the world. But it's not about what you produce. It's not about your hard work. It's about what I did. And I invite you into experiencing and knowing that even more in your hard work. But it's not about the work. You're not my employee. You are my son and daughter. And until we get the view right, until we see that, it's just a religion of hard works. God looks at your, your whole life, the sum total of all your production compared to God is just a, eh, that's it. So stop trying to compare with us, stop trying to measure up, stop trying to please. It's, it look, it's just not compared to what he can do, what he did, what he did on the cross, it's nothing. But he looks at it and he says, I love you anyway. I, I'm so proud of you. I love you. I mean, I look at my daughter and I see her just do the littlest thing and I'm so proud. I love her because she's family, because she's mine. God called you, he's calling you, he loves you, he says, quit trying to focus on the hard work, get your view right, the hard will come. It's going to be hard. There will be times where you will have a will and it won't be my will, right? Like Jesus, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, I got a will, but I'm not going to wait for my will to become God's will before I do God's will. I'm just going to do God's will. There's going to be times, it's going to be hard, it's going to be sweat, but it's not. To earn the promises, it is in response and in view constantly that we're good, we're good, you're covered. Hey, listen, you just need to hear that today. You've been working hard. Listen, stop, stop, stop. You're good, okay? You're good in the sense of the transaction transpired between the cross, your debt's covered, you're good. That kind of, you're good. You're covered, you're atoned for, relax. Get your view right. God is a promise keeper. And uh, I want to share with you, just to end here, I want to share with you one of the promises that God has kept to, to really show us the capacity of our God to keep promises. This comes in, from a passage in Revelation. Revelation is the, is the last book in the Bible. It is, um, it is when uh, John is writing about his, what he's seen, a vision about heaven. He's describing an otherworldly place. So when you read Revelation, and it's a, it's a little crazy, right? 
It's a little wild, some of the stuff in there. It's because you have John trying to use human stuff to describe otherworldly things. Like, you know, he's describing, like, these angels, and I just picture them like, uh, like they had seven tongues each of swords. There's sword, and maybe there's fire. Remember fire tongues? Fire tongues of swords, maybe. I mean, you just, you got, like, he's trying to use human words to describe stuff in heaven. I mean, we have five senses right now. I don't know, in heaven, are we going to have 20 senses, a million senses? We have three dimensions here. There are going to be like a million dimensions in heaven. We don't know. I mean, it's like, it's like otherworldly. We can't. So he's trying his best, right, using human language. And one of the passages describe um, uh, people who follow evil, who do evil. Uh, he describes them as people who follow the beast. Scholars and theologians debate whether it's a person, the beast, or whether it's Satan himself, the beast. But, but he's, basically they're doing evil. That's the, that's the purpose. They, they're following the ways of, the, of evil of the beast. And then there are those who don't. And those who don't have names written in a book. And this book has a very long title. But in the title of this book is a promise. And I want to show you the title of this book just because of how compelling and amazing God is at keeping promises throughout history. Because this is, there's a promise in the title of this book. And this is it. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. All the people who belong to this world worship the beast, the you know, evil, just doing the ways of the world thing. Uh, they're the ones whose names were not written. And here's the title of the book. The book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. There's a book in heaven, and it has a title. This is what we know. And the title of the book is the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth, before the world was made. What does that mean? It means that in the mind of God, before the world was made, Jesus was going to the cross. The cross was going to happen. Before the world was even made, the cross was going to happen. That was going to be a part of the story. In the mind of God, the lamb was going to be slain. There's a lamb. He's going to be slain for the sake of people. For my love is going to be manifest in that way. That was going to happen. So here's what that means. That promise was going to get fulfilled no matter what. Nothing was going to divert that promise. And 2,000 years ago, it took place. And so if Satan thought for a minute that everything he was going to do by introducing evil into the world or through the Garden of Eden and Eve eating the apple, all of what he planned and hoped for with evil coming into the world, if he thought for a minute that it was going to derail the plans of God, he's a fool. And if he thinks for a minute he's going to derail the plans of God for your life and the promises of God for you, he's a fool. He's a fool. God keeps his promises. That was going to happen no matter what. Did not send God back to the drawing board. The lamb was going to be slain no matter what. It was going to happen. Jesus was going to die. Resurrection, new life, hope, and reconciliation were going to happen. And it's available to you. Listen, the, the idea the best is yet to come, that is a phrase for Christians because in any, every, category, every category of our life, the best is always yet to come, whether in this life or the next. Physically, emotionally, your, your, your relational life, your, your intellectual life, your gifts and abilities life, all of it, the best is yet to come. It's always ahead of you because God is always redeeming, always restoring, and he promises that he will never stop working for your good. We're good. We're good. Get our view right. Let's just get our view right, church. As a church, let's do this. That I, I pray we work so hard as a church not to earn anything, but it's because of who we are and our relationship with Jesus. That's why we do it all. And as we do it, we come to know him. And in a relationship with him, it grows. It gets more intimate. So, let's work. Let's pray.
Jesus, uh, there is, um, I believe, a profound lie that at some point we just pick up that, that our productivity and contribution mor- morally in our lives somehow ticks the needle of your favor, favor towards us. That it jeopardizes, at some level, your love for us. I just pray that lie be shattered today with the promise of what Peter says, that our sins are forgiven, it's passed away, the cross took it away, you gave us everything we need, and so therefore we can risk it all because we already have everything. You can't lose when you have everything. God, I pray that people, even in this moment, be their eyes be opened. You talk about blindness, Lord, that you begin to peel back the blindness to help them see that your incredible love for them, that you've always loved them, and that it's only in the view of your love that we can do anything, whether it's hard work or not. God, I pray we get our view right. I pray we work hard as a church, not because we're earning anything, but because it's who we are as your people. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.